there, this is Anna Callahan. You are listening to Incorruptible Massachusetts. Um, our goal is to help people understand state politics, uh, investigate why it's so broken, imagine what we could have here in Massachusetts if we fixed it, and really report on how you can get involved. And I am so thrilled to be here with uh, Jordan Bird Powers and Jonathan Cohn. Um, Jordan, do you want to introduce yourself? My name is Jordan Bird Powers. I use he, him, and I have 11 years experience in Massachusetts politics. Happy to have you. Uh, Jonathan Cohn. Yeah, Jonathan Cohn, also he, him, uh, joining from Boston, and I've been active in Massachusetts politics and issue and electoral campaigns for the past eight years. Fantastic. Anna Callahan, she, her, um, couple years of being pretty involved in Massachusetts state politics, so I'm the, I'm the youngin of the group, um, and, uh, and we are here today to really dream big, um, and you know, I was thinking the other day about my experience a year ago, a little bit over a year ago. Um, you know, I was a Bernie person, but I know people who were Warren people with the same experience, right? There was this moment during the presidential primaries where, you know, it really looked like one of them was going to win. Like it really looked like they were going to win. And I was literally in my life going moment by moment, thinking to myself, when, when, when we have our next president, that's not going to be this way, you know? And, and so I'd be like biking down the street and um, like just bracing for like hundreds of potholes. Like you can't avoid the potholes. This is impossible because there's like a hundred in a one block street. And I was like, it's not going to be like this, you know? Or, um, you know, we spent like probably $15,000 a year on health insurance. And it's literally just lighting our money on fire because we have an $8,000 deductible. So we've never hit the deductible. So everything we spend in insurance is like flushing it down the toilet. Um, I'd be filling my car with gas and I would think, you know what? My car is not going to stink of gasoline fumes. And, uh, and my house is not going to leak like a sieve, right? Just like heat and money pouring out the window. Um, you know, I have friends who've moved away and they move away because they can't afford to live here anymore. They used to be able to afford to, and that was only five or 10 years ago. So like that's these crazy housing prices, I'm like, that's not going to happen anymore. Um, I have a six-year-old and for six years in every house we live in, yes, we've lived in quite a few houses in the last six years. Um, we got to test the water. We got to test the paint. We got to test the soil because you could totally give your kid lead poisoning and like poison them for the rest of their lives. Like this is, this is crazy. And the number of people I know who either don't have a job, they have two, three jobs, like people should just have a job. And, and this you know, there's another thing that we call having a life, right? And, and that means you can not only have a job, but you get to see your friends. You get to spend time with your family. Um, and this is something that other cultures and other countries do. And like in America, I don't know anybody who has time to have a life. It's just not a thing. So that was, that was this dream that I had. And I was realizing that there is no reason at all why we cannot have that here in Massachusetts for 7 million people. 7 million people could have that dream. There's nothing stopping us. Well, okay, there, <laughs> and we'll get to those. But like, we really could, we have something called a state government. <laughs> you know? Like nobody thinks about it, but our state government could easily make all of those things true for us. Yeah, 
And when I think about like the big dream, and I have lots of them for this state, I always think about like, what is it about the 1950s that people have nostalgia about? What are the reasons that people want to go back to this magical time, so-called magical time? Um, and one of the reasons is that it was a time where people built a middle class. And that was made possible because we tax rich people. It's very simple. There's so many wonderful things we could be doing if we did the simple thing of taxing rich people the same way we did in the 1950s, where we tax rich people at a high rate and we diversified who we were taxing. So there was lots of different ways that we were taxing rich people. And we weren't just simply depending on poor people and middle-class people. And that built all the things we love, schools, um, you know, roads, bridges, all the big things, those big projects. Obviously, we don't need to build more roads, but we could be building infrastructure if we just tax rich people and invested it back in ourselves. And, and to that point, we're one, of, uh, one of the states with some of the... the some of the highest per capita rates for billionaires and millionaires and one of the highest rates of inequality here in Massachusetts. And that simply doesn't have to be that way, uh, that we don't need to be one of the most unequal states. We could tax those millionaires and billionaires in the state more to help create the world we wanna see in the state. Because <laughs> I, I like it, uh, that the, the money's there, that there's when it, so many so many of the, the, kind of the big dreams that, that we might have, the kind of, the, easy go-to response from a naysayer is, oh, but we can't afford that. But that's just simply false. Uh, if we're one of the richest, one of the richest states in the US, we can do the things that we want if we have the political will to do them. Yeah, and I just want to like take listeners to this magical place where our schools are not falling apart. Like they are wonderful centers where people are, where our children um, are dreaming of what they can be, right? I think of schools as places that should be dream factories, right? They should feel that way. We, you know, kids have these big dreams and we diminish them with the places we send them that are drab, that are falling down, that are overcrowded. We could have classrooms with that are well-resourced, teachers that are there for every student, the resources, the wraparound resources they need, and they could be learning in centers that truly meet the dreams they have. You know, um, they could be getting full art centers, full, um, you know, all the places uh, from gym to STEM to STEAM, which is a really exciting thing that my daughter loves, the connection of science and technology and art together and math, right? All of those can be made possible for every student and not just the select few, depending on your zip code, if we just invested it back in people and if we spent the money that we have available to spend on them. Yeah, and I love also the idea of them not just being for the students, but that the community, they're learning resources for the community, for people to, you know, improve their language skills or to, you know, like really this, this center for people to learn and the students are, of course, the main learners, but like really for the whole community. And I think that kind of lifelong learning vision is something really important of how do we actually structure uh, and and that, that we can structure society that, do, that, that does create that opportunity for people uh, to educate, to kind of enrich their knowledge and to connect really at any stage of their life and not just kind of the standard K to 12. So whether that's kind of actually building that, that childcare infrastructure in the state so that people don't have to break banks or afford childcare and so that you're both kind of helping to relieve that burden on parents, but also providing those enriching opportunities for kids in those vital early years and also making making sure that higher education isn't something that people have to incur debt uh, that to, in order to attain. One of the things, uh, uh, Anna, as we were noting before, about listening to the, like Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren talk about things that 
that they wanted to do nationally. Debt-free higher ed is something we could, we could accomplish on the okay. state level that people who go through the UMass system, uh, who go to a community college, who go to any other, of our other public state colleges or universities shouldn't en end up saddled with years of debt. We don't make people incur debt for K-12 education. It shouldn't be the case for after. And those institutions can also kind of continue to be those hubs for kind of continual kind of enrichment for people beyond just their times getting a degree. I'm gonna jump in on this debt thing because I'll tell you that, that like, there's, there's almost nothing that irks me more, that annoys me more than having to pay for doctor's bills when I'm paying all this money for insurance. And, and like, it just, it, there's, I don't know, there's something visceral when I have to go to the doctor. And like, we, I've, I've definitely not gone to the doctor when I needed to, for sure. Because I don't know, it's just like, Am I going to die? Can I do something? Can I, you know, like my ankles were busted for like many, many months. And, you know, I went to two physical therapy sessions and then I was like, well, I guess I'll just do these at home, you know, instead of actually yeah. getting the help that I needed. It took like six months for me to be able to, you know, go on a half mile run. Um, and, and this, this, you know, we were one of the first states to pass a universal healthcare system. Um, and yet everyone I know still has this terrible burden of, you know, having to shell out all this money and sometimes go into debt. And God forbid you have something really bad happen to you or a member of your family, because that kind of debt is just terrible, terrible. And, and the choice you have to make, ugh, it's unbelievable that we make, make people make those kind of choices. Which is so true because like, and to your point that the healthcare reform law in Massachusetts, it, it helped us get near, not fully there to the idea of universal health insurance, but that's not the same as healthcare. It doesn't mean we don't have under insurance. doesn't mean we don't have inequities insurance. And really we did decide to put the money to, to kind of a, a robust universal publicly funded program of kind of like a single payer, kind of now the Medicare for all system, which we could do on the state level, state, state level would help make sure that we're actually treating healthcare as a right in practice, not just in rhetoric. Oh, and the one other thing I was going to say is like um, talking to the healthcare experts here, it would actually save the state money, right? So this is not something that's going to break the bank. So this, this is financially, fiscally responsible to do in Massachusetts. And just imagine, just imagine the next time you're sick, just going to the doctor, not, not worrying yeah. about it. That's the dream. That's the dream. In terms of thinking, uh, especially when it comes to single payer, you, it's just often kind of marvelous that how like so many other countries have already managed to realize this as a better system. And one of the other areas where I often think of that as well is when it comes to public transit, is that when you go to any other kind of country, uh, you just often marvel about how much more efficient their public transit systems are, how much more they, they cover, pretty much the case across Europe where the public transit systems are better as well as even like the biking and walking infrastructure is better. I haven't visited Japan before, but anybody I know who ever visits Japan comments about just how much better the public transit systems are. And there's no reason why we can't deliver on that here in Massachusetts. Um, I've, with the, I've often joked that the MBTA doesn't work well in cold weather. It doesn't work well in hot weather. It doesn't work well in weather. And... Love it. 
And if we actually put, put the resources to it, we could build a far better system that both is more, that is both more kind of efficient in moving people around to places in terms of it being uh, just kind of getting there faster, but also at covering more territory. Massachusetts isn't a geographically large state, but it can, is surprisingly difficult to get around the state from one part to the other because we aren't connected with the public transit system in the, like, in the real way we could be that it's too much of it is based on coming from Boston outward from a belief that people are commuters coming into the city and then going back home rather than connecting people across the different parts of the state. Or an even let's say that we could even with just say within a municipality of having a better bus system to get people around around their own city or town without having, without having to kind of own a car, which is expensive not particularly sustainable and yeah. exactly and like we could just be, we could be building that kind of building those communities where people can walk can bike can use public transit uh which are just more pleasant places to live well speaking of living right i mean jonathan you and i were talking about this the other day like how you know we both live in areas where it's just it's really transient like people cannot afford to stay so you, you move somewhere and you think that you're going to stay there, right? You, you, you're like, this is, I love this place. Either you were born there um, and you have no desire to move or you moved there and you're like, this is great. I want to raise my kids here. I love it. Um, five years, 10 years later, like you can barely even rent anymore. And, and the idea of buying, like, it's insane. Like, how could you possibly buy in the place where you currently live? Like, that's, that is crazy. The idea that people cannot live in the same town your parents live in, that they grew up in. Like it's, and it's not just that it's bad for the individual people. Like this is really, it's really bad for us as a culture and as a society to not have those bonds that you have with people that you grew up with um, and that you, you know, that, you, that are your family members. Um, it's, it's much healthier for, for everybody if we can maintain our sort of social fabric yeah. And, you know, having to move around along is destabilizing for kids. It's just, it's a stress that you have if you've ever had to move, right? And there's no reason that people should have that much instability in, in where they live and how they get around. And, you know, unfortunately, also, housing is where we build wealth. It's where our society sort of gives people opportunities for next generations. And it's why Black and Brown people, and especially marginalized communities, were purposefully pushed out of the opportunities to house, right, to have housing, to have opportunity. Um, and so that's, you know, the sort of way in which, uh, you know, there's this interesting thing where Black people tend to live next to other Black people, regardless of their economics, but white people live next to other white people with similar economic uh, backgrounds, mm. right? And so that sort of pushing people together is on purpose because then you can, it's easier to keep people and police people who are certain types, who look a certain way, who live in certain communities. So when I'm envisioning a better world, like a better Massachusetts, it's one where we give people pathways to own if they want or to, or to rent in place for long periods of time if they want, if that's the thing they want. Um, and it's communities which are knitted together because they know each other, because they're connected and there isn't that need to just, um, to just bring armed people to solve simple things. Uh, you know, 
my dream is that when you call the fire department, the um, sorry, when you call, uh, when you have a fire, the fire department shows up. When you have a medical emergency, an EMT shows up. And when you have a substance abuse issue, somebody who's trained in substance abuse shows up. When you have a homelessness issue, somebody who's trained in homelessness shows up. When you have, you know, a domestic abuse, some sort of abuse, somebody who's trained with that really tense horrible situation is trained with de-escalating that situation. The majority of our money for, for policing is actually just going to drugs. It's going to policing drugs. It's going to find people who are on drugs. It's going to arrest people who are on drugs to put them in a place where they have more access to drugs <laughs> or to learn how to be violent when dealing drugs. But it's not going to any of the things we think it should be. Um, and so I envision a world where we're actually thinking about these things and giving our communities the things they need to succeed and, 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 our, and sending people who are appropriate. We spend almost nothing thinking about how do we get people to calm down, right? Like that's such a simple thing. We spend billions of dollars on trying to cure cancer. We spend billions of dollars on weapons manufacturing. We don't spend billions of dollars thinking about people. What makes them tick? What makes them healthy? What makes them happy? How do we get somebody who's really tense and violent into feeling safe and calm down and able to be sort of taken someplace where they can get the mental shift they need? We actually don't have a lot of training for that. We don't spend a lot of time, energy, money on that. And so my dream is that we think that we start thinking about our, we start investing in people and we start investing in communities and we start doing it in a way that makes sense, not our current criminal justice system, which just makes no sense and is a total waste of money. It's, it's so, I love how you phrase it because it seems so obvious. <laughs> it's like, it's like, why, why do we, like, like we think, oh, this is the way that it is or has always been or something. And whether it is or not, you know, that's just dumb. <laughs> it's like, they fix it. like, it just doesn't make any sense. Like, why, why are we doing that? I mean, we have a fight. Can you imagine calling the police for a fire? Like, right. <laughs> that, that would just be crazy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And okay, Jordan's point about about have that comes to like wants to say de-escalation de of people who actually know how to res to, to respond to a situation and not make it worse. Just reminds me of how police are often trained to respond to things as though the situation is war. But we have there are so many other jobs where people already have to think about how are you making a situation better. I'm thinking of how parents have to spend a lot of time. Uh, I'm not the parent. The escalation. Yes, the parents. Yes. Think of how can you actually de-escalate a situation with somebody who is very unhappy about that, <laughs> and like yes. that is a skill that people cultivate, mm -hmm. and yeah. that's something that just doesn't even enter into the and how we kind of think about that. Same way that teachers are often have to think about like that. Some of the best teachers are good at good at de-escalating situations of thinking about how, how can you actually make sure that you achieve that collective positive goal in a way that de-escalates the situation and moves everybody forward. But instead of thinking about uh, kind of almost, but instead we have things set to like wartime footing. Yeah. Um, but in terms of kind of, you know, just kind of continuing that discussion about how we could really build on kind of the world we want here and get past some of the terrible conventional wisdom uh, that we have. I think what else said is we, we talk a lot, especially with Earth Day recently, about the idea of a Green New Deal on the national level. But that type of investment in climate, kind of climate justice and, and kind of 
in renewable energy and have a more sustainable built environment is something we can do here. Here in Massachusetts, we're overwhelmingly dependent on natural gas. Uh, we often like to think ourselves as a very green state, but our renewable energy portfolio is not large. We could, we as a state have access to a lot of potential wind energy, thinking about the Cape, which could be a great, could be a great resource. I want to think what we already have as well as doing things like improving our housing stock. We were talking about housing earlier by retrofitting homes is something that we could do that has a great kind of equity, kind of great equity connections as well, given that it's you know, disadvantaged communities, communities of color, low-income communities that tend to, tend to suffer from really old, old housing stock that could be improved, brings down energy bills, creates jobs and, help, and helps, helps the environment, environment as well. Um, and there's, no reason we can't do that. Our politicians like to talk about how we are doing such a great job on this. And it would be great if we actually did. Yeah, I mean, I have this, I have this dream where like every house has a solar panels on it that the government helps either subsidize or puts on there, maybe a small wind turbine and your car is plugged into that. So that like, we don't have to create the technology of the future to, to have these things. Like we could do this right now. You could put a solar panel on every, where everybody lives and you could put some sort of small wind turbine and you could, and you could give them the power, most of the power they need to um, send their car, get around town, right, if they want to, or to send their kids to, like, or to, um, have access to the internet, right? All those things are available right now with the technology we have. Yeah. Reminds me of one, one joke that I like to say is that, do you know what you call a spill of, of solar energy? You call it sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm just, it's so fun to think about what our dream lives could be. But, but for me, it's not just a dream. Like it, it was this almost reality. And to think that we don't have to wait for national politics. Like we could make that happen here. And there are 7 million people who live here who could be living in this world um, that we all see, that this world that I think all the listeners probably see as well. And, and you know, hopefully you can just, you can like taste it. It's like, oh man, like, that, like Jordan, like you said, it's, it's the new, new technology we need. Like we have everything to do this. Um, but we gotta, we gotta be able to pass it through our legislature. Um, and so the rest of this whole series is gonna be talking about that. Um, and I so look forward to our next conversation that we'll have next week. Um, thank you, Jordan. Thank you, Jonathan. Um, we'll see you all soon. Yeah, thank you so much. Hey!